Good morning. You know, that was a tremendous testimony that, that Kale was sharing about John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace and, and other ones. Uh, I'm reminded of a song called Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And there's lots of other verses to that about how they change, it completely change life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The new direction that we have in our life. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ demands a turnaround in your life. I mean, just think about the songs that you were singing just now. Everything revolves around a complete change of direction. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter number one. We've been on this series for several weeks now. We're talking about identity um, today. And the challenge that we're talking about is discovering our identity in Christ alone. The principle today is in Christ and through Christ, I have a new direction. And that's something we really want to understand. Because, like I said before, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't, it's not just a creed that you take on. It to totally changes your life. The Bible refers to it as a new birth. The Bible refers to it as a conversion. And Paul's key teaching in Colossians, as been pointed out by Pastor Michael over the last few weeks, is the preeminence of Jesus Christ in everything, in all things. We don't add Jesus to our life. Jesus completely takes over our life. Um, he's the creator. He's the sustainer of all of creation, both physical and spiritual. He is the head of the church. In fact, as pointed out last week, he's the head of this church. You know, we, we often talk about that in theoretical terms. How is it looking for us in that regard? Because the work of Jesus Christ then is preeminent. And that includes the work that he's doing in you. So as we go through this, this passage of Scripture, we'll be looking from verses number 21 down to verse number 29. But we're going to focus our attention really in verse number 27. Um, but uh, hopefully you brought your Bibles. And if, By the way, if you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, come and see us and we'll make sure that you get one. And we can give you some advice in that because it's very important to, to have God's Word and to be able to put it in your heart and your mind. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 27 says this, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want that term to be in your mind for, for the next few moments and probably um, for the rest of your life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that look like in your life? Well, the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote this, we know that he had an incredibly powerful conversion. He was completely turned around for Jesus Christ. He was a persecutor of the gospel. Now he's being persecuted because of the gospel. And he writes to these dear people who he's never met. He only knows their pastor. And so their pastor has come to him and talked to them about their needs. And he writes this letter. To encourage them. Pastor Michael over the last few weeks has been giving us the background on this. So if you would like to listen back and go on the, the website and listen to the, the previous sermons. I think it would help you get a grip on, on what we're actually talking about here today. Because you see Christ in you the hope of glory is not just a phrase. This was revolutionary 
what he was talking about today. There was a, a man named Adoniram Judston. He lived from 1788 to 1850. Um, he was a, um, uh, that, that's a long time ago, wasn't it? But he was the first missionary to go to Burma. First American mission. And you've got to understand this for a moment. No one knew what a missionary was. Because of the theology, they thought, well, the heathen are the heathen. The, the, these people, if, if they wanted to know God, then, then God will, will choose to, 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 um, to show himself to them. But this man was the first one before there were even missionaries. And he went to a people that he had never met before. In fact, he wasn't even intending to go there. He was going somewhere else. His ministry was very painful. He was often imprisoned. He lost his wife. Several children died while he was um, serving over there. Many people forgot about him. There was many years where there was no conversions at all, no success. And yet, uh, and yet he left thousands of people, Burmese people, to Jesus Christ. Mainly after he passed away. He never actually saw the fruit there. Why would a person do that? What would happen then? Well, I begin to think about that. And, and Justin, of course, uh, studied him in Bible college. And, and you can get biographies on, on Adoniram Justin. Well worth the reading. But Justin was raised in a Christian home. But when he went to university, he began to embrace a new philosophy. A philosophy that was based on human effort. Today we call it humanistic philosophy. A philosophy that denied that God was involved in anybody's life. And if there is a God, it is a God who is just a, a, an imagination. Somebody that we invented. By the way, the Apostle Paul was attacking just that. And so his weak faith at that time, that was really from the influence of his parents, began to be challenged. And it was challenged especially by a fellow student who became his best friend. And his name was Jacob Eames. And Jacob Eames was a man who was um, a young man who spoke before he really thought through the things. And he believed everything except for truth. He had quite an influence on him. So what he would do is what a lot of people do today. They ridicule that which they do not know. And so he ridiculed God. He totally rejected the Bible, of course, as, as God's word. And so, as God's revelation to mankind, he had an influence on Adoniram Justin. He went to school as a Christian. He came back from school as an atheist. And on his 20th birthday, he decided to share with his parents that he no longer believed the faith. He rejected the faith. It wasn't that he just didn't believe. He actually rejected his parents, of course, were heartbroken. He said, I want you to know that I'm educated now. I have a new philosophy, and I totally reject being a Christian. Well, of course, he went to Brown University in Providence. And what happened then, of course, he got high honors, high distinctions. He was honored by the people who believed that way. So when he graduated from school, he decided he was going to become a playwright. <laughs> he wanted to go into, into the theater and to, to write the things so that his philosophy could be in and, and could be spread around. So he went to New York. 
Even back in the early um, 1800s, people would go to New York City to find a way. And so he went to New York, and he found it was very, very difficult. He and his friend uh, um, uh, separated. He hadn't seen him for years, and, and, and he was very discouraged with life because he had no purpose. He, he had, his philosophy said that there was really nothing worth living for. But God was working in this man's heart. And one night, while traveling through a small town, he spent a night at a local inn. And the only available room in the inn that night was next door. The, the, the clerk was telling him, I said, look, the only room that's available is next door to a poor man who's dying. And he said, that doesn't bother me at all because death means really nothing. So he says, yeah, I'll take that room, no problems at all. And so Adoniram Justin, as a young 20, uh, in his 20s, uh, went into that room. And all night long, he heard that man groaning and crying out, not just because he was in pain. He was desperate. He was lost. He had no hope. Adoniram Justin heard that coming through the walls and as the doctor was attending to him. And Adoniram Justin, and I could go on about all the different things because he wrote about it later, but he was troubled by the despair that he heard. Not just that the man was dying, but the despair, the lack of confidence in the next room. So Adoniram Justin listened and listened. And he wondered if this man had actually been prepared for death and, and what he was thinking about that. If he was a Christian, then obviously it wasn't working for him. So what, what's going on there? So Adoniram Justin said, does it really matter? If this guy just knew that everything was hopeless anyway, then he'd have nothing to worry about. And he wondered if his newly embraced philosophy was really going to hold up as he was listening to a man actually dying. But Justin didn't get the comfort that he thought that this would bring. See, everybody today is looking for something that will sustain them through the tough times. And as he was laying there, finally the, the sounds got quieter and quieter, and, and then it stopped, and so he fell asleep. Well, the next morning he woke up when the sun came up, and he got up, and he forgot about the sense of despair that he had before because he had plans for the day. And he was going down, and he was checking out of the, of the inn, and he asked the man about, he asked the clerk about the man in the joining room. He said he quieted down that time. Oh, what happened? How's he doing? The man said, well, he died. He died last night. And Justin said, oh, oh, that's, that's a shame. He said, oh, by the way, do we, anybody know who he was? And the clerk replied, yeah. Yeah, we all knew. He was a young man from the university in Providence. His name was James Eames. Well, Justin was stunned. This is a true story. He was stunned. That was his friend from college. Sometime later, he reflected upon this. In one of the biographies, he wrote this. He says, lost. In death, Jacob was lost. He was utterly irrevocably lost he was lost to his friends he was lost to the world he was lost to the future he was lost as a puff of smoke is lost in the infinity of air if Jacob's own views were true neither his life nor his death had any meaning at all 
But what if he was wrong? What if he was mistaken? I'm quoting from his biography. He said, suppose the scriptures that my parents taught me were literally true. And suppose there really is a personal God. What will that mean? Well, soon after, God was working in his heart. The scriptures that had been taught to him as a child came back to him. And he believed Jesus Christ. He believed in the gospel. And he received him as his personal savior. And he recognized, as the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Colossae, that this Jesus that, ha- that, that, that he had accepted in his life is in fact God in the flesh. He is not a philosophy. He is the one that was the creator of the universe and he created every single person. And God began to put a burden upon Justin's heart. And Justin went back and he studied and he, and he sensed and the, and a, a call in his life to go and do something that no one else had ever thought about doing, telling the gospel to somebody else. And that's exactly what he did. To make a long story short, of course, he poured his life into taking the gospel to the other side of the world. And that was in the day when you got onto a sailing ship. Never to be seen again. They didn't go on furloughs. That was it. Goodbye. And there's a long story there that you ought to understand. But Adoniram Justin had a new direction in his life by the power of of Jesus Christ in his life. Today we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, which is a jump off from what what was um, preached last week. In verse 19, in your Bibles there, it's not on the screen, but in verse 19 it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. And verse 21 says, and you, and you. He took it from the heavenlies and he brought it down and said, now what about you? So today we're going to look at four different things. And as we go through this, we're going to find out that Christ in your life, the hope of glory gives you a new direction. We're going to discover that Christ in your life, the hope of glory, gives you a new destiny. We're going to look at Christ in your life is that mystery that he's talking about, which gives you a new designation. And there's a lot of different D words that could have come up with that one, but um, designation will do. And you'll understand what I mean by that in a moment, hopefully. And then the last one is Christ in your life is for a purpose. And really, let's start with the purpose. and Let's see what that is, because if we don't know where we're going As was mentioned a week or two ago, if we don't know where we're going, we won't even know how to read the map. What is God trying to do in our life? And so we're going to look at the the goal or the destination. And so Christ in you gives us a new direction. Um, um, Let's have a look here at verse 21 again. He says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconcile you see before the apostle paul says here you were in fact alienated by god i'm so glad that kale actually mentioned something about that in 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 the testimony they gave during the the service 
we need to understand that when Jesus Christ died for our sins, it's because we were sinners. You know, we weren't good people who just needed a course correction. We need a whole new life. And so he says here that, that, that we were alienated from God. In other words, we were estranged from God. We were separated from God. God created us to have perfect fellowship with him. That's why we were created. And yet something entered into our life, and it's called sin. We missed the mark. And we were estranged, separated from God's spiritual blessings. And what's more, the Apostle Paul reveals here that he wasn't just separated from God, that in your state you become the enemy of God. You're at war with God. Until you realize that, you won't know what reconciliation really means. Reconciliation means to take two opposite parties and bring them together. And it was God who took the initiative and came out. And sought reconciliation. And that's what he says here in verse number 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Both in our desires and our actions, we were sinners. You know, the world relishes that today. (laughs) The world just thinks that that's the way to do it until something happens in their life like Adonim Justin. Romans chapter 8, and verse number 7, the Apostle Paul says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. In other words, because it's at war with God, it's not going to listen to God. Paul says in Romans 5, he says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You say, well, this isn't very good news. That's, that's incredibly good news. That's excellent news. Why? Because you and I are ungodly. We want to do things our own way. And we, we dress ourselves up and look nice, and, and we seem to be successful. But at the end of the day, we say, what now? What, what, what was this all about? Ungodly. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 tells us that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you now walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You thought you were your own person, but actually you were following the the prince of the power of the air. You're walking according to the way the world told you to. You you were now the sons of disobedience, just like the people that you thought were the sons. You were actually just the same. He says, you, much, you once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh. If it felt good, you did it. Fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just like others. You needed a new direction. <laughs> and this is great. Paul had to bring these people to the place where they understood that the gospel is different. It is not bringing in another philosophy. It's not us trying to get to God. It's us receiving what God has given to us. And so this new direction comes because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. He shed his precious blood. And by doing that, we've accepted, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He then changes your life. You become a new person. We read in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. I probably quote this more than any other verse. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
He is. You are already. He says, old things have passed away. Behold, or have a look at this. Consider this. All things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And what's more is he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. And so my first thought here from verses 21 and 22 is that he's given you a new direction. So expect this, folks. Expect this, my friends, as, as you go through life. Expect that, that you're going to be challenged in the way that you think. You're going to be challenged in, in, in the methods that you're, that you're using to run your life. He doesn't want you to run your life and to bring him in as an advisor. He wants to be, and he is, Lord of our lives. And so he gives us a new destiny. That's my second point here, and that's found in verse number 22 and 23. So we continue to read in Colossians um, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. He says, and here's where Harry reconciled us in verse 21, in the body of his flesh through death for this purpose, to present you holy and blameless, and he says, and above reproach in his sight. He said in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope or the confidence of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which i paul became a minister he's touching on something here that we'll talk about in a moment but but maybe i'll just say something here right now he's saying here he's don't forget what saved you don't forget that you were saved by the precious blood of jesus that is the good news the gospel why are you bringing philosophies into it that, that that take you away from it he says here if you um if indeed you continue in the faith is not a question that you might not he was saying here that that is a statement that as you continue in the faith he says this is what will happen in your life you will see this so through christ's sacrificial death we're reconciled to god and three things occurred here according to this verse and i want you to really think about this in god's sight you're holy well, I don't feel like I'm holy. I'm not doing that. Well, that's the problem. We're looking too much in the mirror instead of looking at the mirror of the word because he says, you're holy. You've been set apart. Oh, does that mean I can do whatever I want to do? Well, did Christ die for your sins? Has <laughs> he brought you into a new relationship with him? He says you're blameless. No one can, can cast blame now anywhere. He says that you've been above reproach. Listen to how the Apostle Paul, he's writing to people here he's never met before. Paul was an enemy when he was Saul. Now he's writing to people and he says this in, in Colossians 3, chapter 1, verse 3. He says this, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ. It's not the Saul of a few years ago. New direction, a new destiny, a new plan. He says in Ephesians, um, in the book of Ephesians, which is very similar in, in, in many of the, the writings here, he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He says he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you would be holy 
without blame before him in love. That's what he wrote to the Ephesians. To the Corinthians, he says this, a church that was living a very um, carnal existence. And they, they had one foot in the world and one foot in, 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 in the scriptures. And they were finding the struggle to be, to be very, very awkward. And he said, well, it's because you're carnal. Because you're trying to think about spiritual things through, through fleshly things. So he wrote to the Corinthians in, in chapter 1, verse 30. He says, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. He's righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You could tell Paul was a preacher. He always had three points. <laughs> Righteous, sanctification, and redemption. As it is written, he who glories, let him now glory in the Lord. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We read in Romans chapter 8. Um, uh, you can have time, you can look it up, it, it will be displayed for you. What then shall we say to these things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Remember, blameless, above reproach. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? You see, redemption in God's sight produces holiness, blamelessness, and being above reproach. Not from your works. So this new direction that you have gives us a new destiny. Well, this is a mystery. <laughs> this, this is something that, that needs to be unpacked a little bit. Because in the Old Testament, they would give, the, give it all to a priest and he'd take care of it. And once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies as only he could do. And he would, he would take the blood and, and, and he would do it. And for one year, the, the, it was covered. And we find out in the book of Hebrews and other places, in the book of Galatians and other places, that, that this was simply a, a picture of the reality of what Jesus did on the cross. So let's continue in Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. We're going to skip for time's sake. We're going to skip verses 22, 23, and 24 and 25, which is killing me because it's, it's a powerful passage there. But drop down to verse number 26. He says, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generation, but now has been revealed in his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. I want you to take note of that term, among the Gentiles. He says, which is, and this is it, this is the mystery that's been revealed Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is a truth that wasn't fully explained, or it was alluded to, but wasn't fully explained in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed after Jesus Christ came. And especially unpacked and revealed for us in the New Testament. And that is this, if you just want to make it, the gospel is for everyone. 
There is no other gospel. There's not a gospel for this group of people. There's not a gospel for that group of people. It is one gospel for every single person. Recall what Jesus said just before he ascended. He said to his disciples who were Jewish believers. Now understand this. The Jewish believers were very segregated, very much into themselves. They didn't understand that really God was reaching out all through the Old Testament to the, all the nations. But he says this to him in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. He said, Jesus came and he spoke to them and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Sounds like what Paul wrote in Colossians to the Colossians, doesn't it? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He said, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age, I'm with you. That was the promise that he gave. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that the gospel is for everybody. When he says in the book of Romans, he says, I am a debtor. Now, the Apostle Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he, knew, he knew everything. If you know anything about the history of Paul when he was Saul, he was a persecutor of the church, but he was zealous for the Jewish religion. And here's what he says. I am a debtor. I owe a debt to who? The Greeks and the barbarians. I owe a debt to the wise and the unwise. God made a difference in this man's life, put him on a different destiny, and gave him a different designation. And that's the point. Listen to how he explains this mystery of Christ and, 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 and how the gospel relates to that to the Romans. In Romans chapter 1, I'm just going to pick, there were several verses, but I'm just going to grab three of them here. He says in verse 5, through him, that is Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations in his name. Drop down to verse number 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the what? The whole world. He says in verse number 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew, first, but also for the Greek. You see, there are not various salvation plans for the different cultures, different nations, different races. And to the Ephesians, Paul explains this. He actually uses the term mystery again. This hidden truth is now revealed. He says, here's the mystery. He says that, I'm in chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promising Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given to me by the effective working of his power. Oh, folks, Christ is in you. He's going to make a difference in your life. He's going to put you on a new path, a different direction, because you have a new destiny. You're now holy. You're now blameless. You're now above reproach. He's now going to give you a new designation. It's not that I'm following Christ. It's Christ in you. That's the new designation. 
You now have brothers and sisters all around the planet who you've never met that you now are a bond with, who come from every nation. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, it'll come from every tribe, every nation. What a day that will be. A new direction, a new destiny, because the outcome is a new destination. We're going to close with this one. We continue to read in verses, um, um, in, in verses 27 and 28. But we're going to focus on verse 28. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now here's how you get there. How do we know that? Well, you're doing it right now. He says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I tell you what, every single person here has some plan for their life. You're starting a new school year. Some of you have graduated from school and you're, you're, going to, you're looking at whatever career options that you have. You're, you're, you're thinking about what you're going to do in your family. Maybe you're building a home. Maybe you're, you're, you're investing into, into some, some, some investments there. And you all have a plan. Boy, when you look at this verse, it all kind of pales in insignificance, doesn't it? When he says that, that we are going to be presented perfect in Christ Jesus. That hope of glory, in other words, that confident expectation that you and I have takes our eyes off of this. And he's going to do this in the next chapter, which we'll cover in the next school holiday. So you can always read ahead. But we now think differently. And he says, here's how you're going to do it. I'm going to go quickly through these points because I've run out of time. But by one, proclaiming Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Him we preach. You don't, come to, you don't come to this church to listen to some idea and philosophy that we found during the week, the latest craze that's going on, the latest scheme that we can, we can be involved in to make ourselves feel better. Paul says, no, the way that this hope of glory is unpacked in your life is by proclaiming Christ alone. Ephesians 3.8, he says, and this is um, um, later on in, in the talk, he does the same thing in Colossians. He says, to me, who am less than all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To the Corinthians, he says, for we do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for the sake of Jesus. So by proclaiming Jesus Christ, the gospel, keep the gospel as the primary focus. Number two, you need to warn people. By giving warning, he says, they're warning every man. You see, the issue is very serious. And that's what really struck Adoniram Judson When he was in that room, listening to that dying man, it actually became real to him. Philosophies are great until you have to live it. Individuals, families, nations have been brought to ruin because of false philosophies and beliefs. Sincerely held, but still false. So most of Paul's ministry was warning people. Sometimes you just got to warn people. 
He, uh, you know, Matthew says this, Jesus warned us. He says, beware of, this is Jesus, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inside they are wolves that want to get you. They're ravening wolves. Paul wrote to the Colossians um, in, in the next chapter here, which we'll get to in, a, in a several weeks. He says, beware lest anybody cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, we're in verse 8 of chapter 2, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. The word cheat there means to plunder you, to take you captive into a, a thought pattern. He warned people, be alert as you move into this next year. Be alert to the things that are, don't accept every message that comes down the pike, especially if it comes from the sources. Do I go there? <laughs> the sources of entertainment, especially. When fools laugh about things that are very, very serious. Peter says it this way. He says in 2 Peter 3, verse 17, he's pinning this. Peter, whose life changed, was totally changed from a fisherman. Now he's writing, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, he says, Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. The things that you used to stand for, do you stand for them anymore, he's saying? Or are you just kind of drifting? He says, you're being led away with the error of the wicked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you're going to hear that through teaching. You're going to hear that through preaching. Paul says that's the way you're going to have the hope of glory. The gospel, and he says in warning. But he also says, and the third one is, he says in verse number 28, by teaching. By teaching. That's the positive thing. You can't just simply warn people. You've got to replace it with truth. And show them the positive. You've got to model it. You've got to encourage it. It's, it's, it's hard work, but you have to do it. So you teach them truth. And the Apostle Paul spends so much time unpacking things and then, and then and working and, and building and, and building. When I was in college, my wife and I went to Bible college together, and that's where we met. It's another story for another time. But he, um, uh, there was a textbook that I'll never forget this textbook. I actually Googled it to make sure that, that I had still the right title because I always thought it was a very interesting title for this class that I took. The textbook was by um, Findlay Edge and, and, and it said, Teaching for Results. Teaching for Results. That's interesting because here's what he wrote. He says, he explains that many church, it was a Christian book for church ministries. He says, many church teaching ministries fail to achieve better results because their teaching aims to be too general. It's too vague. It doesn't ever bring home a point. It never says, now what? He says, the solution, he says, is for the teacher and the preacher to focus on a single objective for each lesson and then work with that aim with the singleness of purpose. Walk out of here today with saying, what am I going to do with this message today? Because he says, teaching needs to be not academic. It needs to be practical. And then, I never thought that I'd ever use that as an illustration some 45 years later. <laughs> it just pops in my brain. 
So the single purpose is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, that's exactly where we ended up here in verse number 28. He says in, 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 in our version here to present every person perfect in Christ Jesus. In other words, mature, complete, lacking nothing, equipped for what God wants you to do. In Colossians 3, verse 16, he talks about the marks of what it looks like to be spiritually mature. And what it is, it's connect, grow, and then serve. It's serving. You serve from the overflow of what God is doing in your life. That's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of maturity in physical things. It's a sign of maturity in spiritual things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he says, in all wisdom, by teaching admonishing one another in psalms and hymns when spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord let me do another plug here the lord's taught you in scripture and he's given you a verse that just really is something that's in your heart and mind the thing the next thing you need to do is share that share that with somebody and we're going to give you the opportunity to do just that Share it with somebody. We need to, uh, um, Pastor Michael and I are praying about this and, 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 and the officers are as well. We need folks to step up and to become the teachers so that we can reproduce ourselves in the connect groups and in the discipleship groups. There's a lot of neat things that are happening this year that, that we'll be showing you over the next few months. We need people to say, you know what? I'm complete in Christ. I know the gospel. I've been warned. Now I know what, what the dangers are. I'm being taught and I'm continuing to grow because the goal is to be presented mature in Christ Jesus. Of course, the ultimate goal would be like, like Titus says here. Um, Paul wrote to Titus, he says, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's coming again. And the purpose became Paul's life in verse number 29. To this end, I also labor. This is my goal. This is why I'm doing everything, he says. I'm striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So think about this for a moment. The ultimate purpose and the ministry of this church is to guide people to spiritual maturity. It's got to be the part of Everything that we do. Whether it's something physically practical that we're doing in a person's life. Or even that prayer warrior that no one ever sees. But you're there and you're praying. You're involved. As you discover your identity identity in, in, in Christ alone that we've been talking about. Let me ask you to what, what new direction. Are you, have you, are, are you, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Maybe, maybe we ought to start there. Adonarm Justin thought that his faith was good until it was tried. Then he found that his faith wasn't real at all. But God hadn't forgotten him. What's that new direction that God's got in your life? What's that new plan, that destiny from an evil worker to righteousness, from a sinner to now we're a saint? And then what's that new designation? Well, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Tell you what, that, that sure beats what the world's told you you are. That sure beats what you tell yourself you are. 
And then what's that new designation? Being spiritually mature in Christ. Let's all stand together for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that as we do our closing song, Lord, and as we consider the, the implications of what we have read here, as we move through this year, Lord, I pray that, that we will systematically take this on. Lord, I know you're speaking to hearts today. I know you're speaking to my heart. Lord, we're still here, and you have a work for us to do. You have a direction and a plan. And I pray, Lord, that we will step out of this, this, this area that we're in and we'll walk by faith. We praise you for who you are and what you're doing in our life. And I pray and I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen.